grab my Bible over here. And let's talk. Let's, let's go back to last week for just a moment. Do you remember last week, if you were here, uh, there was this incredible moment in the Christian community. Uh, just briefly, the, the gospel had been going out now into places where the majority of the population were Gentiles, non-Jews. And some Jews who belonged to sort of like a Pharisaic uh, Christian group followed Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. And they, they went to a bunch of different places and they said, you know, uh, it's so great that you want to worship Jesus, but if you really want to be a Jesus follower, you need to be circumcised. By which they really meant you need to become a Jew. And Paul and Barnabas entered into sharp disagreement with these people. They said, no, that's not how this works. Jesus is enough. Following Jesus is enough. We can't add anything to it or take anything away. So they took their debate to Jerusalem, to the headquarters of the church, and they presented their arguments. The Pharisaic Christians said, you have to be circumcised. We can't give up on the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas says, no, we don't need circumcision. Jesus has done away with the need for that. And then you had Peter standing up, and Peter said, you know what, Paul and Barnabas are right. I went and I shared the gospel with Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit came on them before they were circumcised. Doesn't that mean God's already pleased with them? Isn't that absolutely the proof that God accepts the Gentiles as Gentiles? And finally, James. We believe James, the brother of Jesus, stood up. And he seemed to be the big head honcho at the church in Jerusalem. And he said, Simon, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas are right God loves the Gentiles just as Gentiles. And so last week we, we talked about how when people maybe come to our church and we look at folks out there, a lot of the times we sort of judge them through our own lens, don't we? And say, well, you know, uh, I don't think they really love Jesus because of incidental detail number two. Right back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was whether or not people had tattoos, right? If you, were, if you had a tattoo... You can't love Jesus. Those are mutually exclusive things. I hope we know better today. If you're here this morning, you're thinking tattooed people can't love Jesus. You know, that's, frankly, we're being like the Pharisees and not like the followers of Jesus. Sometimes it's, well, they don't dress like me or they, they're not in my socioeconomic class or they don't hang out with the right sorts of people. They don't vote the right sorts of ways. Whatever it is, we come up with all of these sorts of, you know, here are the things you have to be to be a Christian, but they're not the things Jesus handed down to us. What did Jesus say we needed to do in order to be a Christian? He said, follow me. Follow me. And he called people out of all different circumstances. I love how Steve was pointing out the disciples that Jesus called, the very first disciples, were probably everyone else's rejects. Jesus loves people who live on the margins in one way or another. And scripture is full of sayings to exactly that effect. So we can't look on the outside and decide, you know, well, do they look like a follower of Jesus based on these unimportant details in their lives, the way their skin looks, the way the places they go, the things that they say. The real question is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, hey, in order to be saved, what do we need? We need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. 
and everything else follows out of that. So there was a major disagreement, and they settled it in Jerusalem. And, and they went back, when, when they left Jerusalem, when they left the council, Paul and Barnabas, and headed back to Antioch, do you remember how they went? It was a big moment. They went celebrating everywhere. And they took a letter from, from James in Jerusalem to the churches that they visited. And the letter said, you don't have to become Jews. You just can follow Jesus just as you are, like the Baptist love, right? Just as I am without one plea. But that my God died for me. Or something like that. I'm a Presbyterian. But as they go back, everywhere they go, people are celebrating. It's a moment of great victory, and it feels like the church is ready to step out into new and exciting and wonderful things. And then what happens? Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go and visit all those churches that we planted. Let's see how they're doing. And then what? Did you catch it? Paul and Barnabas had a big falling out over John Mark. Is this the human experience or what? At our highest height, something happens, and often it's our own darn fault, that takes us right back down to the real world. We've had a great victory, and now we experience a great loss. I think that's what happens with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John, who we find out is actually a relative of Barnabas, but uh, Paul did not think it wise because he had deserted them. John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, I, I just I want to point out a couple of things about Paul and Barnabas because I, I think it helps us understand why they disagreed. First of all, Barnabas, that name means son of encouragement. And what is Barnabas except someone who lives up to that name? He is an encourager. He finds people. He connects them where they need to go. He helps them grow and mature. Do you remember in Paul's story? Paul meets Jesus, and then he's run out of town for his faith, and he ends up out in the wilderness or something somewhere, living an anonymous life. And then the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to Antioch, north of Jerusalem. And Barnabas says, there's good work to be done here. I'm going to go get Paul and bring him out to do it. Paul, whom nobody else probably trusted very much at the moment because he had been persecuting God's church. Paul, who is living in obscurity. Barnabas got him, and he was the right man. Paul was the right man for Antioch. Barnabas was the right man to connect Paul to Antioch. Barnabas is really a son of encouragement. And so when John Mark, when Paul and Barnabas start experiencing on their first missionary journey these, these problems and, and danger, John Mark runs away. And Barnabas, of course, is thinking, how can we get him back? He's the son of encouragement. Then you have Paul, on the other hand. Well, if you had to describe Paul's temperament in a couple of words, just shout them out. How would you describe Paul and the kind of person that he is? Soldier. He's a, yes, soldier, assertive, rigid, right? He is, Paul cares about getting things right and doing things right. Paul cares about the gospel going forth without any obstacle in its way. Paul, you know, Barnabas, if he finds an obstacle, Barnabas will try and reason with it. Paul, if he finds an obstacle, he's going to punch his way through. 
Because that's the kind of man that he is. So when John Mark abandons them in their hour of need, Barnabas says, okay, let's figure out how to help John Mark grow. And Paul says, I'm never trusting that guy again. These are the personality types they've got. And notice that God makes up his church out of both Barnabas's and Paul's, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Paul and Barnabas, though, have a falling out over this. They can't come together. And it must have felt like such a defeat after the the success and the triumph in Jerusalem. It must have felt like, what is, how can we be God's people when we can't even agree on our co-workers for the mission? It must have been difficult. This text is difficult because it it doesn't give us easy answers, does it? It doesn't say, well, Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. Or it doesn't say the opposite. The text doesn't say everything ended up being fine. The text doesn't say, well, what they should have done was. It just records it. It says this is the kind of thing that happens in life, isn't it? If any of you experience something like this, you are working closely with somebody. You're in agreement and all of a sudden it just all falls apart. And you say, what happened? What happened? That's real life, isn't it? You know, if you were, just as a passing note here, if this was all made up, if Luke, when he went to put together the book of Acts, was thinking, how can I trick everyone into being a Christian? Or how can I make the Christians look really good so everyone will want to be a Christian? Would he have put this story in? No. He put it in because it really happened, though, didn't he? There's no other reason you'd record something like this. But I think there's a little bit of hope at the end as well. See, Paul and Barnabas' disagreement, it didn't come because one of them was right and the other was wrong. Did you pick up on that? Paul's reasoning about Mark wasn't wrong. He abandoned us. We can't rely on him. Barnabas' reasoning about Mark wasn't wrong. He can grow to become more like Jesus. See, it was their own personal wisdom that they were bringing to the situation that was born out of their personalities, that was born out of their experiences. This wasn't a matter of sin, where one of them was not listening to God and the other one was. This is just sometimes what life is like when human beings are trying to do life together. What's the result? Well, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Tell me, if Paul and Barnabas agreed about Mark, how many teams would have gone out? When Paul and Barnabas weren't able to come to terms about Mark, how many teams went out? Now, this isn't carte blanche to go out and yell at each other and divide up all the time. But I think it's hopeful that there is a God who is able to redeem even our problems with each other and turn them toward ministry and turn them toward mission and make delicious, delicious lemonade out of lemons. Christians are by nature in a lot of ways optimists just because that's who God is and that's what he does. 
And something else happens, uh, I think, in part because Paul and Barnabas uh, split. Actually, really the theme that ties these two passages together, because this is only the first passage, the theme that ties it together to the next passage is the response to the Jerusalem council, right? You have this great moment of, of unity and success that immediately turns into disunity and, and in human terms, failure. But then we also have this sense of, well, you know, now we know we don't have to be circumcised, right? We don't have to, the Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to be followers of Jesus. They're acceptable as Gentiles. So what does Paul do? He comes to Derby. By the way, I love, so if you follow soccer, the big rivalries, they're called Derby matches. And uh, it was so cool hearing from our, our, uh, our Welshmen that they really do say it Derby in the UK, where we say derby here in the US. Did you know it's spelled the same way? That's for free. Uh, let's move on. Um, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, a Christian, but his father was a Greek. And all the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. He said, here's someone that God is going to use. Here is someone that God is calling to the ministry that you're doing, Paul. And so Paul wanted to take him along. He said, this will be great. You know, where Barnabas is the great, you know, the son of encouragement who, when John Mark failed, uh, was willing to give him a second chance, Paul was willing at least to give a first chance to Timothy. He recognized this is important. This is significant. This is part of why it's really exciting, I think, that we're ordaining Joshua Kerr here next week because Good churches, churches that are healthy, raise up new leaders, both from within their midst and by recognizing them outside of our immediate community and saying, God is calling you to something and encourage them in that. And that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey, so he circumcised him. What? Didn't we just go through all of this in Jerusalem? Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised. It doesn't matter that he's half Gentile. He's still fully acceptable to God. Why is Paul circumcising Timothy? Well, the answer is right here. I'm kind of building up tension that if you just read, it's not that tense. He says, Paul circumcised Timothy because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Let me ask you, if... What do you think? If, if someone comes into an area you know, where the population is mostly Jewish and, and he's at best half Jewish, right? He's, he's half Gentile and he comes in saying, hey, that thing that you've been hoping for in your faith for forever and ever that I'm sort of inside but also sort of outside, it's actually happened. How well do you think that person is going to be received? Are they going to say, oh, this guy knows all about Judaism because he's half Jewish? Or are they going to say, oh, this guy's probably unreliable because he's half Gentile? Especially if he's uncircumcised, right? Because that's the mark of being a faithful Jew, that you're circumcised. See, Paul understands that Timothy is absolutely gifted for ministry, but the people that he is about to minister to will not be able to receive him if he is uncircumcised. Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised for himself. Timothy needs to be circumcised for the sake of the mission. 
John Chrysostom, a fourth century preacher, one of the most famous Christian preachers of all times, says about this passage that Paul circumcised to take away circumcision. Get that? He says, by circumcising Timothy, he was, about to, he was able to go and share a message that circumcision is not what makes God happy with you, but Jesus is. And I think, I think it's probably fairly obvious what we need to take away from that this morning. What is it that doesn't matter for us one way or another about whether or not God loves us or finds us acceptable? That maybe we are, or we do, or we look like. What, what is it that if we take that thing to a different group of people, they won't be able to hear the message of the gospel? Let me put this in concrete terms. When I was in college, I took a mission trip to Utah, uh, and we went and we shared the the gospel with the Mormons the whole time that we were there. Uh, We did it, first of all, because it was justice, because they were doing door-to-door ministry all the time. So we went to their doors and knocked on them and told them about Jesus. That's not actually the most important reason why we went. It was just the most fun reason for me. But one of the things that we did in order to be effective in that ministry And the leaders of our mission trip told us this at the beginning. He said, listen, if you want to go do this, if you're a guy and you have long hair, you need to cut it. If you're a woman and you have short hair, you need to grow it out. If you like to dress casual and kind of ratty, you need to get some nice clothes. If you have a beard, you need to shave it. So we did these things. And we went, uh, we went to Utah. We did all kinds of ministry. We did door-to-door ministry. We visited the temple. We did uh, ministry at a university telling people about Jesus. And I was blown away because everyone we met would say, you look like such nice men and women because we cut our hair, because we wore a tie. I made a joke uh, while I was there that I... I think it was the last time I put on the tie on the trip. I said, this is the last time I'm putting on a tie until I get married. It was not. <laughs> but it was amazing. We had an opportunity to speak to people because we changed certain things about ourselves that didn't matter one way or the other. And they made the message of the gospel so much easier for people to hear. Now, folks, there are so many things in our faith that we can't compromise in order to take the message. Because if we compromised them, we, we wouldn't be delivering the same message. You know, if we said sin's not really sin, right, it, that's not the gospel. If we said, you know, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, uh, what you think about marriage. It doesn't matter, you know, what you think about this. It doesn't matter how you've done this thing. If, if we just go along compromising the things that we believe out of Scripture as Christians, in order to gain a hearing, then we won't actually be sharing the gospel with people. But what are the things that we could give up, that God is calling us to give up, so that people will better be able to hear the message of Jesus Christ? Some of those are going to be deeply personal for us. Maybe it's someone in our family, we really want to reach them with the gospel, and there's this argument that's been going on between us forever, and we recognize that 
they're never going to hear about Jesus from me until we settle that argument. And so whatever it costs me, I need to settle that argument for the greater goal of sharing Jesus. Maybe, uh, I haven't done this here, this might be a bad example, but maybe it's taking on uh, some of the cultural idiosyncrasies of the place that we live. Uh, I've heard about pastors who move to different towns and they become fans of the local sports team. Obviously, I haven't done that. I will rethink it this week. All you 49ers fans are thrilled. But whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Because knowing Jesus is the difference between life and death for the people surrounding us, for the people that we love, and even for the people that maybe we don't love yet. But for the sake of Jesus, we're going to learn to. Coming out of this great victory at the Jerusalem Council, there were some setbacks, but that wasn't the end of the mission. God was able to redeem even those. Coming out of the Jerusalem Council was this amazing freedom to be who you are, to not have to to make these drastic changes, to go from one people group to another. And yet Paul shows that, you know what, those sacrifices are still worth it. If what it takes is to reach, you know, if what it takes to reach someone for the gospel is circumcision or uncircumcision, I'm going to do my best at either one of those. For this reason, Paul says uh, later in his ministry, I have become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. Don't let our freedom become an obstacle for mission.